This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. gotten to know yet, aren't they? So it's so great to meet some new friends this morning. My name is Christopher. I am one of the leaders here. And it's such, such a joy to be together. We're continuing in our series. I can't commend it highly enough. I think the last couple of weeks have just been fantastic um, looking at our series Formed. And I want to quickly start and ask probably the most fundamental of questions, namely, what are we here for? Now, out in society, obviously, there will be a a myriad of answers, Um, things like make money, leave a legacy, make a difference, leave the world better than we found it. That one sounds particularly uh, enticing. Try everything at least once. Isn't that one of the... uh, the sort of purposes of some people's lives. And there'll be seven billion other answers, uh, depending on which of the seven billion people you ask. But for those of us who are believers, if someone wakes us up at 3.15 in the morning with a bucket of ice water and says, what are you here for? Our answer is <laughs> to, be, to, be, uh, to follow and to become like Jesus. Sunday school answer. Easy peasy. To follow and become like Jesus, right. And that's why we're working through this series formed at the moment. We understand that it is the highest priority of our lives to become more like Jesus. And that the context of being formed into the image of Jesus are the practices of just the faithful day-to-day living and living it out within the context of community with fellow believers who love and appreciate the gospel of Jesus. And it's been so good launching our G1Cs. Man, we missed it. And one of the great reasons why it's been so good is internally, intrinsically, we know just how important, valuable, and precious the community, the people, one another are as part of God's plan of making us and forming us more into the shape of Jesus. And in our desire to be increasingly formed into the image of Jesus, We've discovered that the story we believe, the gospel community that we're part of, the practices and habits that we um, sink into, and the experiences that make up life all contribute towards God forming Christ-likeness in us, is it not? And Howard, just so helpfully last week, um, we looked at the first of the experiences that shape our formation into Christ-likeness, which was suffering and the hardships and the trials that we go through, and that God carries us through them, and He uses them for His glory and our good. And this morning, we're looking at another experience of being formed into the image of Christ, namely, as we are shaped and formed by the Holy Spirit. 
Pentecost Sunday will give us another really great opportunity to speak more about the Holy Spirit. So we're so excited. I'm so excited to just kind of keep digging into, uh, digging deeper into the things of the Spirit in the next few months. But this morning, our main reading is out of 2 Corinthians chapter 3. If you've got your Bibles, please do open it up. It's always good to get a Bible that's thumbed and you know where stuff are in them, and it's great. So 2 Corinthians 3, we're reading from verse, well, verse 17 and 18. Now the, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So the two key elements that we're going to kind of dig our way through on are where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And number two, we are transformed into the same image of Jesus by the Spirit. Okay? Those two yellow points. So if you're wondering why this, the phraseology um, that we're reading sounds somewhat familiar, the Apostle Paul, who wrote our passage in 2 Corinthians, is comparing and contrasting the imagery of the Spirit, veiled faces, the glory of God, to those that, that Moses writes in Exodus chapter 34, where he'd been up on the mountain alone with God, and he's so impacted by God's power and presence and God's glory, that he comes down and his face is literally glowing. And he wears a veil to cover his face so as not to frighten the other people. Or maybe to show that, uh, or to hide the fact that the glory is eventually fading from his face. And we're going to get back to that a little bit later. But off the bat, I think the opening lines of our reading could cause some of us to lift some eyebrows. The Lord is the Spirit. Really? Additionally, I think what, what can cause the eyebrow lifting is that the word Lord that Paul uses is the word kurios, which is the same word always translated as the Lord Jesus. So what we have here is saying the Lord... Jesus is the Spirit. And it's interesting to note that. So what's going on? Well, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, I think it's so important to just start off with a few essential points. And firstly, it's so important to know, to remember, to emphasize that the Holy Spirit is a He and not an It. The Holy Spirit is the Lord in our passage. And He, a He, not an it. The Holy Spirit is a person to be worshipped and worshipped through, and not a force or a power that we kind of wield. Don't think, use the force, Luke, okay? <laughs> think the essence of the power and the presence and the personhood of God the Father that's also equally reflected through God the Son, Jesus. 
is a he, not an it. Second point, the Holy Spirit is a member of the Trinity, which can help us with our kind of furrowed brow when we're wondering about the Lord is the Spirit. And I, I so look forward to unpacking this at some point further. You know, as a team, we're going to do that, unpacking the Trinity, if for no other reason than just to equip us better to handle Jehovah's Witnesses when they come and chat at the door. But for the sake of, of this morning's time, the summary is this. God is three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, who each have different roles and functions within the Trinity. One of the ways that's expressed is the Father sends the Son to earth. The Son lives a holy life. He dies a sinner's death and is resurrected to glory to redeem us from both sin and death. And the Father and the Son then send the Spirit. There's clear different personalities and distinctions on the go here. Second point is that each person of the Trinity is equally and fully God. John 1 is helpful. In the beginning, right way in the beginning, was the Word, Jesus, the Logos, okay? And the Word was with God, Theos, God the Father, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. These are one of, well, this is one of the verses that puts Jesus the Son, or God the Son, on equal footing, on par with God the Father, as God. And when Ananias and, uh, to Ananias and Sapphira, Peter says, Why has Satan filled your hearts to lie to the Holy Spirit? You have not lied to man, but to God. Okay, so we've got the sense that even in the early church, they understood that the Spirit is equally God. If you lie to the Spirit, you are lying to God. And that's a big claim to make unless they are equal. Equal in value, equal in power, equally God. And then the third point, having said all of those things, there is only one God. <laughs> the Holy Spirit, the Father, and the Son, they are all equally God, sharing part of this one identity that is God. Deuteronomy 6 verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Okay? Mm. And these three statements of truth about the Trinity are, are just so precious to us because it shows a unity and a diversity in God which is echoed through marriage, through church life and community life. But it's also clear that these statements help us see that it is God's desire to fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord and that the Holy Spirit is part and parcel, is part of this great plan, this great story to fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. It's not just God the Father. It's not just God the Son. It's God the Spirit's desire that this work is done. In the New Testament, in Ephesians 4, Paul echoes Isaiah, one of the Old Testament prophets, when he says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Clearly, 
the Apostle Paul understands that when humanity is acting in a contrary way to the will of God, it is rebelling, yes, against God in general, but it is the Holy Spirit in particular that seems to be grieved when our hearts and our character and our actions are contrary to those of Jesus. Hopefully we will see that this is why in focusing on the questions of being increasingly formed into the image of Jesus, why we then pause on the experience of the Spirit being close to, abiding in, being filled with, being baptized in, whatever language kind of most resonates with you, being close to this person of God, the Holy Spirit. So let's return to our scripture. The Lord is the Spirit. Okay, probably not all answers uh, or questions answered, but are we okay with that point? Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom, freedom, freedom. Why on earth are we now talking about freedom? Thought we're talking about becoming like Jesus. Well, we are. That's why we need freedom. Please put your hand up, probably with me, if you would like to be formed into the image of Jesus. Okay, all right. Unanimous, brilliant. Next question. Look back one year in your life, and then put up your hand if the people who know you best would say you look more like Jesus today than you did one year ago. Here we go. There's some. All right. Okay. So, so we're fumbling our way towards that answer, aren't we? <laughs> well, why is that? Why are we fumbling our way towards that answer? Well, it's because we are not, according to the scripture, utterly and completely free to do so. The brokenness of. The sinful world that we live in causes us to, to turn in on ourselves and fundamentally begin to worship the creation rather than the creator. And that tension is constantly plaguing us. But wonderfully, and this is where the good news of the gospel comes in, there are two things that happen when God saves us. When we've made a profession of faith be, because we somehow find ourselves believing these things about Jesus. And the first thing that happens is, we know this word, we love it, we are justified. Just as if I'd never sinned. Isn't that great? It's just a fancy term, legal term, means not guilty before God. God declares us not guilty. Why does he do that? Because although Jesus lived a perfect, holy and righteous life, he chose to take our sin upon himself on the cross, become sin for us, and receive the punishment for that sin, which is death, bodily death. But being perfect, holy and righteous, death could not hold him in the grave. He pleased the Father. He'd satisfied 
conditions of the Father, of the law. And he was raised to life by God and ascended into heaven and glory. And the Holy Spirit then comes and seals our faith in Jesus. Allows us to share in his perfect, holy, and righteous life. Allows us to share in his death in our place. And after our own bodily deaths, to share in his resurrection and ascension into glory. Through faith in the Son of God, the certainty, the certainty of the finished work of Jesus are given to us then as a free gift of God's grace and love. Justified. Boom. But the second thing that happens through salvation is that, and this would probably be obvious to any of us who've been saved more than two hours, is that although we are justified and given the identity, legal standing as holy and righteous as Jesus, our lives don't somehow immediately reflect the justified image of Christ. And then, thankfully, that God is sanctifying us to become more like the people we are. Sancte, holy, set apart. In the Latin, sanctification is the process of being made holy and being made free to follow God. Everything that happens in life on, on this side of salvation, as being a believer and follower of Jesus, God uses for our justification or uses for our sanctification and our freedom. That's why last Sunday we could say with great confidence, Howard could say to us. That God uses our trials and our tribulations and our sufferings because they can push us into God. And into the freedom that comes from shedding value from the things that cause us suffering. When we suffer about something, we learn that its value is insignificant in comparison to the glory of God. We learn to get a perspective of value. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And being free, friends, is being able to choose every time to live our lives in line with who we are. Free is knowing we are declared children of God, formed into the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ, and can live lives like him. Being free is choosing the path that is best for us, not merely the path that we in our sinfulness want. Best versus what I want. But experience teaches us that there's a gap between who God has declared us to be through faith and the people that we know ourselves to be as we live this life out in the broken world. There's a gap between being somewhat free on this side of death and being fully free when we are free from the allure of sin and making life all about us. I think knowing we are declared righteous is so helpful, is it not? But it just doesn't seem quite enough. 
willpower that God gives us. So helpful. But that just doesn't seem enough. Good intentions and good plans, daily Bible readings, attending on Sundays, being in a G1C, serving, so helpful. But it just doesn't seem quite enough to bridge the gap between who we are and who we are meant to be. I want to come to church on Sundays, but man, I've worked so hard. God knows I deserve a lion just today. I want to live holy, but that lady or that gentleman on that advert just gets my engine revving. And before I know it, I'm on my computer, I'm Googling stuff I just really shouldn't be Googling. I want to give to God, but I find myself getting anxious and worrying about how I'm going to save for my house deposit if I actually tithe. So I give God my fiver, I kind of tick the box of giving, but my heart knows that I'm just not being faithful. And according to our scriptures this morning, it's because we're living in this gap between the freedom to be fully given over to God and His ways and His purposes and the restrictions of the sinful world and how it has shaped my personality and my character and behaviors this side of eternity. But wonderfully, the same spirit that we can grieve when we act poorly or choose to live poorly as slaves of the world is also God's grace to us in increasingly helping us live freely in an upward trajectory, right? Towards Christ-likeness. How does the text say that that happens? Verse 18. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the, the same image from one degree of glory to another. And I want to pull a few points from this verse that the Apostle Paul is clearly trying to highlight for us as he compares and contrasts Moses' story in Exodus 34. So the first verse, we all, okay? The first two words, we all. If we compare that in Exodus 34, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with two tablets of the testimony in his hand, he came down from the mountain. Moses did not know that the skin on his face shone because he'd been talking with God. Question. In the Old Testament, who would the Holy Spirit rest upon? Not a trick question. Individuals, people, special people, anointed people, prophets, Moses type of people. And the presence of God by the Spirit that caused the face of Moses to shine is now no longer only available to a very special select chosen few. God's presence by His Spirit is available to all. Please turn to your neighbor and say, we all. Come on, let's go. Let's get Pentecostal. We all. You can say to them, you too. Yeah. So we all, the entire community of faith, gets access to the fullness of God's presence by the Spirit. Hooray! 
This should cause us to celebrate and jump in our seats. Number two, unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord. Okay, unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord. Verse 34 in Exodus 34. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining, and Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. Mm. Moses veiled his face initially to hide the glory of the Lord from the people because it frightened the people. Undoubtedly, He kept the veil on when the glory started fading and that he was afraid to let the people see that the glory, the glory of God was fading on him. There are some who think that Moses wore the veil his entire life. Isn't that an interesting thought? Long after the shine of the glory had left him, perhaps shame, perhaps doubt, perhaps unbelief, fear, insecurities, A whole host of things could cause Moses to just keep the veil on. What the writer of our passage in 2 Corinthians is encouraging is that we all can come with unveiled face. Like Moses, we can come unveiled to God so that we might see Him in all His beauty and His glory and His splendor and His power and marvel in His presence. No veil to hinder us seeing everything about him, nor avail to hide our sin or our shame behind because of Jesus. Done. God knows all. He sees all. But he's chosen to love us, consider us righteous in his son Jesus. Nothing can ever put a veil up again before between us and God. But unlike Moses... We all get to live unveiled with one another in community. In my experience, the worst thing that can happen in community is when we live veiled, we live fake, we live with veils over our faces, trying to hide our brokenness as if we're somehow different. Only... Where are we? The beautiful gospel means that we can live unveiled before God and before one another and be free to see Him as He is. And we can behold Him. We behold Him, okay? There He is. I hold, I see, I grasp, I love, I value, I appreciate, or abide in Him, or be with Him. Or be filled with Him, whatever language you're most comfortable with. But it's this continuous process of beholding. It's not in and out like Moses. It's there, constantly. Third one. Are being transformed into the same image. In Exodus 34, Moses, uh, Paul compares to when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he'd been talking with God. 
Moses was physically transformed. Isn't that amazing? Because he had been with God. Is a glowing face a natural phenomenon? No. Something supernatural had happened to him when he was with God. He became more like God. He took on some of the glory, some of the character, some of the attributes of God as he spent time with him. And I must say, I do love the word transformed because in the Greek, it's the word metamorphu, which it's not surprising. Metamorphosis, okay? We get it from the Greek. They're clever people. We love their words. Maybe some of the kids. Who, who can give me a good example of metamorphosis? Best example you know. I'm hearing one from the old child here in the front. Come on, come on. Shout it out. Best example of metamorphosis. Butterfly. Love it. Thank you. Caterpillar to a butterfly. A caterpillar is not a butterfly. Would you agree? <laughs> They're just different. A butterfly is not a caterpillar, but through the process of metamorphosis, the one thing ceases to exist and something completely new is born. I think it's just wonderful. We all, as we live unveiled before God and one another, are metamorphosed into or from whatever we were into something completely new, into the image of the thing that we are beholding, God. Willpower, oh, so good. It can change behaviors. It can help us create or break habits. But only the Spirit of God can make us new and free. Give us a new heart, new desires, new passions, new loves. Hearts that, that have Jesus as our first love. Caterpillar to a butterfly. Point four, from one degree of glory to another. And this is where our story makes a clear departure from Moses' story, where Moses wore the veil to prevent people from seeing the glory that was slowly fading, we all, with unveiled faces, behold, abide in, draw near to, are filled with the glory of the Lord, and we are increasingly being formed into the image of Jesus from one degree of glory to the next. Moses' face dulled. The face of God's people are growing brighter and brighter by the Spirit. It's like we've changed from caterpillar to butterfly. And we're watching kind of the chief butterfly and the other butterflies around us. And we're learning how to spread our wings. We're learning how to kind of clean our antenna or learning how to fly or land on a flower, bad example, I know, but we're watching, we're learning, and we're making mistakes, but every day we are being formed a little more into the image of the chief butterfly. <laughs> and I love this because it not only tells us that as we behold him and abide in him, we're on an upward trajectory 
of becoming more like Jesus, which is awesome, but it also tells me, tells us that perfection is not the aim. Whew, breathe. Perfection is not the goal. The journey is the goal. Beholding Jesus is the goal. The pursuit of Jesus is the goal. I hate to say it, but you and I will never be perfect on this side of eternity. We are going to grieve one another, upset, anger, frustrate, sin against one another and against God until we close our eyes in this life and we open them in the next. But thankfully, Jesus is perfect. Jesus is enough. Jesus has pleased the Father. Jesus has reached the goal that we long for. And our goal then just becomes faithful, joyful, day-to-day plodding of being formed increasingly into the men and women that God already knows we are in Jesus. Most of the time, our day-to-day plodding of being increasingly formed into the likeness of Jesus happens slowly. Through the habits, through the practices that we've been talking about, through living committedly in community, through studying the Bible and doing it with friends, through praying and to loving the great story of God in the world, what happens is that we can create an environment where the Holy Spirit can do the deep work that only He can do. Because the fruit of the Spirit that we read about in Galatians 5, love, peace, uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are not things that we can squeeze out with willpower. And if you're like me, we've tried. They are the image of the kind of person that Jesus is. And that by the Holy Spirit, we are increasingly formed into. They are not actions. They're not activities. There is nothing that you and I can do to make them grow. They reflect the character of Jesus. And for most of us, represent something completely different. Caterpillar and butterfly to what we actually are. But it's the pleasure of God, the Holy Spirit, to increasingly free us and cause our trees, using the metaphor now of fruit, to grow and to bear fruit of the character of Jesus. I love the promise in Hebrews 9, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, Purify our conscience from dead works to serving the living God. Oh, thank you. Like a gardener who didn't plant the tree, okay, with a gardener, we can prepare the soil, we can water, we can weed. And our efforts, our hard work, our labors are not unimportant. It's a critical part of the process that there's 
soil preparation and weeding and watering. But we don't make the tree grow or make it bear fruit. This is the kind of relationship that we've got with the Holy Spirit. God plants the tree. It's God who brings us to salvation. It's God who gives us our spiritual identities and makes us completely new. And we thankfully, lovingly, gratefully weed, we water, we fertilize. We put ourselves in Bible-believing, Bible-teaching churches. We serve, we give, we get behind the mission of Jesus through our churches. We get in community, we read our Bible, we pray, we fast, all these wonderful means of grace that God gives us. But it is only the Holy Spirit that can make the tree grow and decides when fruits are formed and how many are formed. We have no control over that. One of the reasons why God gives us the gifts of the Holy Spirit, all of the gifts, but in particular we told the power gifts the, in 1 Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The gifts of the word of knowledge, word of wisdom, supernatural faith, gift of healing, prophecy, miracles, distinguishing of spirits, gift of tongues and interpretation. God gives us these gifts to encourage the church, bless and help mature one another. And the the challenge is our spiritual gifts. If, you, if you've got like a, a particular gift that just shines out above some of the others, the danger is we feel like this is a badge of honor. Like, oh, oof, I've made it. But our gifts are God's gift to others, not to us. To help them grow in their freedom to help them on their journey of the faithful plod of becoming more like Jesus. But, wonderfully, your gifts help me <laughs> and one another. Sometimes, very rarely, and I've had this maybe twice, where instead of the slow plod of life, God breaks in with power and glory and just does something miraculous. And during these breakthrough moments, once I, I did fall over, I don't make a theology out of it, but that's what happened, and the other time I was sitting in my seat. But both times the Holy Spirit was so tangible, was so present, and that He did His work in me. I just felt the overwhelming emotion of it. Generally, those kind of moments miraculous inner healing or bodily healing takes place, or they are times of, of just powerfully being set free from things that normally would take the slow plod over years and years, God just does, boom! Friends, whether it's the slow plod of everyday faithful living by the Spirit, in community, doing the habits, practices, or these breakthrough moments. 
God the Holy Spirit is passionate in creating and forming a transformed person that increasingly is free to choose the lifestyle of Jesus. To think like, to have the passions of, to have the character of, and increasingly act like the person of Jesus. And it's my prayer that the Spirit has fueled an appetite in us this morning. A hunger to ask God and to trust Him for more of Himself by the Spirit this morning. So that we would be formed, drawn closer, more and more into the image of Jesus. Set free to live the lives that we've been made for. The people that we are. And that we are free to choose the things that we really, really, really want. Rather than the things that we desire through the fleeting pleasures of the flesh. The promise of God in Luke 11. We can ask the band if you guys can come up, Andy. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.